Hello and welcome to Never Seen It, a podcast about movies we haven't seen yet. My name is Trent. I'm here with my wife, Betsy. Hello, Trent. Betsy, it's that time of year. What time is that? It's November and we're starting the long journey towards Oscar season. Oh my goodness gracious. (laughs) Is it already... Oscar time. It kind of is. I would say we've probably already watched maybe two or three movies from this year that might be in consideration, but I would say the movie we're going to watch today is very much up there. Betsy, we're going to go to the theater and watch Killers of the Flower Moon. That's a new movie. A three and a half hour epic (laughs) from Martin Scorsese. This is only the second Scorsese movie that we are covering on this show. We did our Decade series last year, and we covered Gangs of New York for 2002. So we are fans of Scorsese. We haven't seen a lot of his movies, but suffice it to say we are fans. And there is a lot of buzz about this movie, and there has been for a lot of months. Months? Like, fucking years. Yeah, you're right. Like, we were starting to, like, look at, like, oh, Oscar movies for 2023 last year, and this was at the top of everybody's list because it's a Scorsese movie. They know it's a big epic. It's Leonardo DiCaprio. It's Robert De Niro. And anytime you get all all those guys together, it's going to be a big deal. So, Betsy, what can you tell me and what can you tell our listeners about this movie before we walk into a dark theater? So there's that one photo of Leonardo DiCaprio and Lily Gladstone that was released a million and one years ago. And it is the only look behind the scenes that we had forever about this movie. It was the only promo photo that we had to go on. It was the only thing, period, that we had to go on. And it wasn't until they started releasing, like, trailers and teasers and stuff that we Mm -hmm. got a lot more. So I know it is set after World War I. It is in Oklahoma, I think. I know Brendan Fraser is a person who is in this that you haven't mentioned yet. Yep. As far as the actual plot, I'm still somewhat unclear about what this movie is actually about. I'm going to give you my theory here based on the one trailer I've actually seen uh, from this movie that was like one of those full length trailers and not a teaser. It seems to me like this is a cross between Dances with Wolves and There Will Be Blood. Okay. That's, that's, That's the vibes I'm getting here. Okay. Because... I, you see, I think you're right. It is set in Oklahoma in the 1920s, and there is a big oil rush in, in Oklahoma, and De Niro and DiCaprio are kind of partners, and they're going to Oklahoma to try to swindle land away from the native people. Okay. That's, that's my guess here, and part of the swindling has to do with DiCaprio like trying to seduce one of the women there to try to marry her. I think that's what's happening here. Well, I thought in the commercials they were, like, genuinely in love. They are. They are. Okay. Yeah, genu- I have no idea what this movie is. I'll just be completely honest with you. The trailer is unclear to me. Yeah. I have not looked into it because I don't need to. I'm going to watch the damn movie no matter what. Sure. So what would be the point of doing copious (laughs) amounts of research? I know it's based on a book. Yeah. It's been in the works for a long, long time. Mm Mm-hmm. The general consensus to date has been this movie is long, but it actually doesn't feel long, amazingly. You almost want it to be longer. I saw a review that says, yeah, you kind of wish that it was longer. 
So that's good. Anytime you see three and a half hours, it makes you go, I don't yeah. know about this. Yeah. And I'm like strategically planning my experience at the theater so I don't have to pee and leave in the <laughs> middle of it because that is always the thing I'm thinking about and not the movie. <laughs> but as far as anything else, I don't know anyone else off the top of my head who's in it. I can get a vibe just based on the fact it's Scorsese. I can make some assumptions about what kind of a movie it's going to feel like. But I could also be completely wrong. He likes to do shit out of left field once in a while. Yeah. So I, I think that's where we're going to have to leave it. We're going to go watch Killers of the Flower Moon. We'll be right back. have returned betsy that was killers of the flower moon possible oscar contender what did you think about that one so my thing with scorsese sometimes i watch his movies and i like them right away and sometimes i watch them and i need to watch them more than once to really appreciate it this one is good it's even really good but there are some moments in it that are borderline confusing because he has a way of editing things together kind of like, oh, and here's another piece of information that mm -hmm. we're not really going to explain. It's kind of haphazard. Yeah. And then the end is very out of left field. So I might have to see this one again to, to make my final assessment. I liked it. Like, I will give you this. Three and a half hours. Did not feel like it. True. I, I got right through that movie. I had no problems. I wasn't bored. I was like, okay, where is this going? Where is this going? Where is this going? And then it was just kind of over. Yeah. But I don't know exactly how I feel about it. I didn't hate it. I think I'm in the camp of I liked this movie, but there are some things I'm hoping our conversation will clarify. Yeah, and I would say for me, I think I'm right there with you. I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. I, I did enjoy the story and by that i mean the story is really sad but it's told very well the focus of the movie isn't necessarily just the murders it is kind of the couple it is lily gladstone and leonardo dicaprio you could take this story a lot of different ways and we were just reading before we sat down here that the initial pitch of this movie the way the screenplay was written was that it was going to be more about the investigation of the murders. Like, the way that the murders are depicted in this movie are kind of just tossed off. They're, they're kind of nothing. There's not a big reaction. There's so many of them right. that they're just like, yeah, this is just the way of life. It's just the way it is here. And I, I think it comes out in the writing. But as the first draft or whatever draft it was, uh, as it was going along in the production process, Leonardo DiCaprio asked for it to be rewritten again to be more focused on the couple. And I don't know if I would have maybe rather had the first draft or this draft because I don't know what I'm missing out on. I kind of 
I mean, honestly, I kind of wanted more. I wanted more of the investigation. I wanted more of the trial and the aftermath and everything else. So you're in the camp of, give me the four-hour cut, give Scorsese. Me all, give me all of it, yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> I want to see, the. I mean, the, the story of the couple is very interesting because there's a dynamic here that is very genuine. I think these two really do love each other, but I also think Leonardo DiCaprio's character is kind of a simpleton and just does whatever people tell him to. I can sum up this movie very succinctly for you. Men suck. Yes. Men, they suck. <laughs> like so many different men in so many different ways. Like the, the whole crux of this movie is that they find oil on the reservation where the Osage people live. Yes. And so they inadvertently become multimillionaires. And everybody starts moving to Oklahoma and marrying the people there so they get their money. Right. And it's a lot of different ways of doing this. They all come in and, like, provide services. Like, all of these people come in, like, Leonardo DiCaprio is a cab driver. Yep, they've got cab drivers and a dance school and right. libraries and hospitals and they're just putting up businesses. Yeah. And, you know, there are lots of people who are very strategic about who they marry. Like, I can fall in love with the specific person I want to based on the social circle they're in, the amount of money they have. If sure. I just hang out here and meet the right person, I could truly fall in love with them. I just luck out in that there's this extra benefit Involved right. by marrying that person. Exactly. And, you know, there are stories a mile long about, you know, young, attractive women marrying an old rich guy. Old rich guy dies. And guess what? The young, hot woman is now a rich, young, hot woman. And don't get me wrong, sometimes maybe they really do love those people. It seems and it's convenient, not, It's but not for us to judge. No, it is definitely a choice, though, who they spend their time getting to yeah, know. It's a tale as old as time. And it's the same <laughs> thing here, where they are all finding these people to marry. They kind of, in most cases, seem like get married in a hurry. Yeah. They seem very convenient. And then they're just offing their spouses. People are literally in this movie just murdering their wife on the front lawn yeah. because they know that that money that they have a right to, that their share, will now come to them and their children. Yeah, and it's a very convenient like loophole, if you want to call it that, because when the oil is discovered, the government of either the tribe or the reservation or even the federal government, I don't actually know. They don't get into it. But it is decreed that... You get this money, whatever profits that come from this oil, you get this money, you get a stipend basically, and it just, it's going to be there for as long as you live. And to go along with that, your family, your heirs also get a part of that as long as there's oil coming out of the ground. Well, and I was trying to figure out at the beginning of the movie, the first time we're introduced to Lily Gladstone, she's in an office and she says she's incompetent. And I'm like, what right. the fuck is this about? And I had to think about it for a minute because this is taking place, they don't say the exact year, but you assume 19 teens, late 19 teens, post-World War I, right after World War I is over. It's, it's the 20s, actually. At the very beginning of the movie. Yes, yes. And then it gets into the 20s. Correct. Native Americans were not considered citizens of the United States until 1924. Yes. So when this movie starts and you've got all of these people with all of this money on land that does not belong to the United States government, mm -hmm. of course, people are going to come in and find every single way they can come up with to say, 
well, that shouldn't be your money. That should be my money. And mm-hmm. let me help you with that. And I'm like, why the fuck do these grown women need a guardian, a white male elderly man who can tell them what they can and can't do with this money they're allotted? Well, yeah. because they weren't even citizens of the United States. So it got really easy, really quickly for them to bullshit their way into being in charge of their money. Yeah, like these, they get these allotted, well, they call, call them allotments. And there are people who are quote unquote restricted and unrestricted so i guess she is considered restricted because she is considered incompetent yeah i didn't which quite w- understand the distinction here it could be that hey i'm uneducated so i don't know i'm i'm a stupid person and i don't know what what money is blah 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 i'm just a stupid little woman what do i know right so they don't really go into that i wanted more i wanted more information about that i don't even think that they say who her like guardian is do they He's that old man she's sitting in the office with. That's her guardian. Oh, that's the guy. I thought he was just like a banker or something. I mean, that's basically what he is. He's the guy that signs okay. the checks. Okay. But she has to go to him and ask for money. All right. That and makes he more says, sense. He says, well, it just sure seems like your mom's spending a lot of money on meat. So maybe we shouldn't spend our money that way. And there's so many people throughout this whole movie just telling them how they should spend their money. After sure. her sister dies and some of that money goes to her, the immediate thing that man says is, you know, this town over had a big party and they spent the money for the children and it was a joyous yeah. occasion. Yeah. And she is just looking at him like, are you fucking kidding me yeah it's these white people coming in and saying hey you need to spend your money in the community aren't you a part of the community don't you, don't you want to help your community again yeah. it's it's that double-edged thing where it's like you are not citizens but we're gonna treat you like you are so that we get your money well this whole movie's about fucking money it, yeah, it very much is money and death really money, is greed, what greed greed and murder and yeah. Yeah, and going along with what you just said before about hey, Native Americans didn't have any kind of citizenship until 1924. That's very soon after when these events actually happen. So guess what happens there? They get to tax them on their money too. Which they don't get to that point in the story. No, we but cut think it about off it. before we get there. Yeah, think about it though. Once you become citizens, you get income. Guess what? You get income tax. So not only are these other white people coming in to try to swindle them out of whatever cash that they have by, you know, opening up businesses and like... And charging them the Osage prices. Yeah. Like, that's what we charge you because we know you can afford it. Exactly. And what else are you going to do? You got no other option here. I'm the only undertaker here. Open up a competing business and then we can talk. Right. Yeah, there is a lot of circumstantial things like this is fucking oklahoma they became a state in 1907 i had to look that up too Mm -hmm. so they've only been a state for like 10 ish years at this point you've got these people that were up to this event happening were living the wild west traditional native american lifestyle yeah and the first scene in the movie is them basically putting that to bed and saying we're not going to do this anymore and yeah. they're crying and mourning the loss of their society they're having a, a de facto funeral for their culture they're giving up they're saying no the white people are going to be coming in they're going to be marrying our daughters and our sons our children are going to go to white schools they're, they're going to speak be, english yeah, they're going to be educated in the white uh, education system and the Osage way is dying. So we're having a funeral for it. That's fucking bleak. And that's the first scene of this movie. Yeah. And then by golly, they struck oil and yeah. 
Um, I want to talk about something that is very analogous to what is happening kind of now, or at least in the recent past. Up in northwestern North Dakota, they found oil, oh, about 10 years ago, 15 years ago, something like that. In the middle of nowhere. In the middle of nowhere. Like, nobody lives in northwestern North Dakota. It's, it's nowhereville. But they struck oil up there, and guess what happened? A whole cottage industry blew up around all these people who are going up there because all of the people who are hired to go work the oil fields got paid a fuckload of money. They were making six figures plus. We had to build apartments and schools yeah. and hospitals and all the same stuff yeah. was happening there. Exactly. All the oil field workers got paid a, a whole lot of money. But there's nothing up there. There's no infrastructure. There's no housing. There's no transportation. There's no hospitals or schools or anything for the people who actually live there yeah so you, guess what you think we live in the middle of nowhere no oh, no that's, that's that fucking is nowhere that is the middle of nowhere that's about what this location in oklahoma was it's bumblefuck nowhere they have to build like this fairfax town was basically built up from nothing yeah because it was in the reservation where the oil was located yeah and that's what happened in north dakota they had to cut like people had to come in and quickly quickly build all these different buildings for people to live in they, they start businesses they start restaurants they start all of these different things and the pricing was outrageous they brought in like fucking mobile homes like trailer houses to sit on some kind of plot of land and they charged like 25 three thousand dollars a month to just live in a trailer house didn't we talk about this when we also watched Nomadland, where they kind of had a town that was built up like that just for the factory or whatever it was, was that was well, there? Well, it was Amazon workers. Well, I, no, I, I, no, no. She actually left the town she was living in and okay. became a nomad because the industry that had that, blow, yeah. that had blown up in their town yeah. had then collapsed, and now the town is a ghost town. Yeah, you're Same right, fucking you're right. thing's going to happen in North Dakota. It's already started. It's, al it's already happened. Yeah, it was very quick to go up, yep. and it's been very quick to go away. Yeah, they sucked it dry, and there's hardly anything left up there. And now there's all these houses and apartments and schools and a bunch mm -hmm. of bullshit that nobody is using. Yeah, if there's really nothing up there for people to live for, if there's no industry, no businesses, no people anymore. And a hundred miles from the nearest thing. Yeah, it's just going to be another ghost town. Yeah, and I didn't look up on a map where exactly in Oklahoma this is, but I I've, did. I've I did. seen the, the map of Oklahoma and like a lot of these Midwest states, it's very big. There's a lot of space. Oh, yeah. And not Fair a lot of people in it. Fairfax, Oklahoma is in north central Oklahoma, I would say about 150 miles away from anything. So the middle of nowhere Oklahoma. Exactly. Kind of near the middle of nowhere Nebraska. Yeah. Excellent. A wonderful place that everybody wants to be. Yeah. <laughs> At least in 19 whatever this was. So let's actually talk about the people who do live in Fairfax, Oklahoma in this movie. Uh, we're introduced to the Leonardo DiCaprio character. He's coming off a train. He's going to live with uh, Robert De Niro's character. It's his uncle, and his uncle has a cattle farm. That's what he's really known for in this town. Uh, he's also kind of a community member. It seems like he is, he's even on, like, the native council because he's sitting in on, on all those meetings. It's the thing where he's an opportunist. He clearly has yeah. been there as early as he could possibly get there. He's one of those networking guys and who just knows everybody. He ingratiated himself. That's a good word. He showed up and he made friends with the right people at the right yeah. time. And he gave them gifts and smiled and glad handed everybody. Right. And he also says near the end of the movie, I brought you 
like Western medicine and brought, I, I built hospitals. I, I opened this store. I made you basically. I, exactly. I helped build this city, built this town into what you know it is today. Listen, his nickname is King and that's yeah. not very subtle. <laughs> You're right. But it's also not wrong. You know, in the first scene when he shows up, he actually seems like he might be a decent person. Like in the very first scene when you're just being introduced, he's mm -hmm. like this sweet old uncle and he starts telling his nephew, you know, what do you like? What did you do in the war? And he quickly transitions to the conversation of you should get married and you right. should marry a very specific type of girl. Hey, hey, you like girls, right? What kind of girls do you like? You like all kind of girls? Great. I got a girl for you. Go and marry her now. Yeah, and it quickly becomes apparent that Robert De Niro is all about the money. Like, that yeah. is all this man cares about. He does not have an ounce of feeling. Like, he goes on these tirades about, oh, I, I've known them since they were girls, and I, I'm going to put out $1,000 to find the murderer. Mm -hmm. And he makes a big show of it. Oh, yeah. But really... Deep down, this character is vile. Yeah. Like, I cannot come up with a better word than vile. He is evil. a evil, evil, disgusting man. And it's so slow to reveal this. Yeah. That, yeah, I completely understand people saying, oh, De Niro is like, this is some of his career best. Yeah, because I fucking despised this character, yeah. which means he's doing a really good job. Everything is an ulterior motive for him. And that motive is money, like you said. Everything he is doing, all of the people that he is meeting, all of the different hands he's greasing, it's all about himself. And again, it's not revealed until later that as soon as the walls start kind of closing him around him and his nephew is fucking things up at every single turn, that he can, he, he starts to freak out. Yeah, he's cool. Until he isn't. And that's kind of everybody in this movie where they're like dealing with it and they're doing what they're told. But the second it looks like that they're going to be in trouble and they're going to actually have consequences to their actions. Mm -hmm. It's that thing. No honor amongst thieves. Everybody starts throwing everybody else under the bus. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because I know De Niro from so many other like mobster movies and like the other roles that he's he's done. That's all I can really think of him as is this guy who is saying hey you, you're you're going to do the right thing right you're going to you're going to help out your uncle you're going to help out your, your 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 pal and i think it's it is this archetype that he always plays that that's the thing in this movie that was distracting me the most i couldn't see this character separate and apart from a lot of the other characters he's played i could but maybe that's just because after you know being enveloped in it for so many hours that I was okay by the yeah, end yeah. by the end and you know he is doing some stretching here this man is obviously one of the most New York New Yorkers mm -hmm. on the face of the planet yeah and he is doing this Oklahoma accent is it great it's pretty good it's I not mean, bad it's not perfect but he's definitely doing something and he is very congenial at times mm -hmm. he is very he's ne he's never really threatening that's the no, thing. I feel like he has this quiet power where nobody will even believe that I'm a bad guy. Like when he turns himself in, he literally says, I have heard word on the street that I am wanted by the police. I'm here to turn myself. Yeah, he's all chummy, chummy. Arrest. Chummy. arrest 
kissed me, officer. Yeah, he, <laughs> he's all chummy chummy with his buddies on the on the police force because he is a deputy sheriff, by the way. Right, and the cops are like, no, you don't have to put the cuffs on him. It's not a big deal. Right. That's the kind of guy this is, is nobody would even suspect this sweet old man who's such a pillar of the community. Yeah. Why would he ever do anything bad to anyone? And one thing that I that I read about this, the the guy, the actual guy, King, he was not an old man when these events happened. He was 45. And Robert De Niro is 80. So there's a stretch there. <laughs> it, it endears him more, though, because you can add the element of he's known these people his entire life, yes. their entire lives. Yes. And as a viewer, like that adds a lot of weight when he is literally ordering the murders of people that he kind of in a way was like an uncle figure to. And I was kind of in a little bit of disbelief here because I was like, is, did he just say what I thought he said? Yes. Did, did he actually say to Leo, oh, yeah, we're going to off these people? What? And Leo's going along with it? What? Like, that just kind of came out of nowhere. And they were, like, just very matter-of-fact about it. And I, it was just weird to me. It doesn't even exactly come out of nowhere. It's just that... They're peeling the layers back a little at a time. So like I said, at the very beginning, he just thinks it would be convenient if Leo, his nephew, marries the right girl who has a share of this money. And then it's like, well, you know, that one girl's really sick. And now that she's about to die, that is fewer shares Mm -hmm. and the shares keep getting smaller and smaller and more condensed. Yeah, And he starts to throw the breadcrumbs out there to Leo saying, okay, wouldn't it be nice if you had this nice little setup here? You know, you got some stomach problems. You can't really work all that hard. So wouldn't it be nice if you just had a stipend of money to come in every single month and you got to marry this pretty girl over here? Yeah, he's, he's just piling up all these positives, but then not really getting into, oh, by the way, we're trying to kill off as many of the of the family members here so that this money will go into your pocket immediately. Oh yeah, and by the way, this entire group of people, all the women here, have this condition where they're not going to live past 50. Well, and that's how it kind of starts as, like, they're going to die, like, of natural yeah, things. It's now, just I'm, inevitable. I kind of feel like maybe the first one, the first sister who wasn't well, that maybe I suspect someone was poisoning her. Yeah. That's how I kind of interpreted that. Like, it would be really easy to slowly kill her. Yeah, and even before we meet all these characters, we get this kind of montage and narration of all these young people getting fucking murdered in a lot of different ways. 21, 29, all these random deaths. Yeah, uh, people between the ages of, of 25 and 40. Just dying. Yeah. No, no case, no investigation. Right. No nothing. But then we also get get treated to one of the actual death scenes of a white man shooting this woman with a baby in the carriage. No, his wife. He shoots his wife. Was that his wife? That would be my assumption, yes. Okay. Because he was a white man and she was a native woman and she was taking the baby out in the pram and he came out of that house and shot her. True. Who else would be in the doorway? It would probably be her husband and okay. because we've now already established yeah now that i think about that we've already established that all these white men are coming in and marrying these women mm-hmm. uh you know it it's disgusting like they they get really into the fact that there is a lot of really rampant racism here oh yeah 
and like the clan is around and they're just in the parade and they're waving and saying hello to people. Yeah. And these people clearly have a problem with Native Americans, but they are willing to choke down their own racism if it means they'll get money. And it's not a matter of them having a problem with Native American people. Oh, th- there is a moment where De Niro basically says, if you oh, like yeah. that kind of thing, okay. Oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm totally with you. But it is the callousness and it is the inhumanity in which they, they treat these people. They don't they, consider them they people. They do not consider them people. Which is why it's so easy for everybody to just shoot him in the street. Right. Like when he hires the guy and says, I need you to kill somebody. Well, what if I tell you they're native? Does that make a difference? Oh, well, that's fine. Right. Like I got no qualms about that. But yeah, to bring it back to the sisters, the first one, she's kind of dying already. Right. So she dies. Okay. The next one is the mother. She's old. She's dying. Whatever. Okay. Yeah, and you really don't get the acceleration of this entire plot until the mother dies, because that is the biggest hurdle that they have to get across. Yeah. Now, okay, mom's out of the way. Now we've got these two other sisters. Yeah. The first one, they kind of just take her out in the woods and shoot her. And they like, oh, it's a mysterious death and she must have killed herself. Right, but there's no fucking face left for God's sakes. Yeah, that's fucked up. That, there's so much, there was a lot of descriptions of the fact that she had no face. Yeah, and God, I don't even want to get into some of these other ones. And yeah, they make the excuse that, oh yeah, she's just a drunk. It'd be easier to, to bring her out in the woods and just shoot her in the head. And again, the nonchalance by which they just bring her out there and they're describing it in the courtroom they bring her out there she's drunk the other guy the accomplice has to like prop her up that's her husband or her boyfriend or something yeah and they set her up back again and she falls over they set her up back again the guy's holding her and then they shoot her in the top of the head yeah just like nothing like it's nothing and then just they look around and they walk away when we actually see the scene acted out played out right they just go kind of Okay, and they like shrug and walk off Yeah, into the nighttime. Yeah, like you're throwing out your fucking garbage. And they leave the body there, and she's found like five or six days later. Yeah. That's really fucked up. So by this point, they've already gotten rid of three of the hurdles, and now there's only one hurdle left. It becomes much easier for them to go to the extreme because they're investigating the death of the one that was killed in the woods. Right. And the guy who is investigating it is the one they say we should get rid of him because Mm -hmm. he's going to be trouble for us. He's not on our side. We don't have him in on the the game, as it were. He's not in our pocket. He's not in our pocket. He's dangerous. So let's just get rid of him. And what better way than blowing up the house? Because I know a a guy. We'll just get some dynamite and we'll blow up the whole house, including the housekeeper. We don't really care who's inside. Jesus. Like, that is a really extreme way. Like, it's not an accident. They can't make that look like an accident. If this was 20 years later, they'd have turned the gas on and walked away. Right. You know, but they don't have that luxury in the middle of fucking nowhere. They barely have electricity here. No. They managed to find a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy right and you could feasibly make an explanation as to what happened but educated people who come in and actually look at a thing they're gonna say oh yeah this place was rigged for dynamite oh it was structurally unsound someone someone left their dynamite stash in the walls it was an accident waiting to happen just a stiff wind blew, (laughs) blew this house over for fuck's sake yeah so it takes that level of shit going down before the fucking government actually steps in but and it's does not anything even that. about it's it. It's not even that. Molly. 
goes to the Washington, D.C. and meets Calvin Coolidge at yeah. some, like, I don't know, like, public relations of Indian Americans? Is you, that what that was? It seemed like a photo op is what it, it was. looked like. It was. And she just happened to be like, hello, I'm getting close enough to say things to right. your face. I, I'm, I'm shaking your hand. I'm shaking your hand. But Don't I'm let also, go. I'm also deathly serious in my eyes. I'm looking at you. There are murders happening in Osage County in Oklahoma. You need to send people down here. And no one cares. Oh, my God. But you know what? Silent Cal, he did it. He finally did it. He sent the people uh, from this brand, brand new organization headed by J. Edgar Hoover. They sent guys down there and started up. And by golly, they did it. They figured it out. That was a great touch because you forget the fact that news didn't spread the same way as it does now. Yeah. Like, especially out that far to the West. People are not going to know there's this new organization. It's called the Federal Bureau of Investigation. It's brand new. Nobody knows what they do. They don't recognize their authority. And when they show up and actually start investigating, all they do is say, oh, well, you need to talk to that guy who tells them you need to talk to that guy who tells them you need to talk right. to that guy, which is the biggest fucking red flag to anyone oh, doing yeah. an investigation. Oh, yeah. They smell a rat immediately. And they know, they know that nobody wants anybody else coming in here. And the people who are running all these fucking scams and schemes don't want their good thing fucked with. You're going to ruin the good time for everyone. Yeah. And jeez. But I, mean, I don't know if you know this. People who are long suffering have a tendency to find a breaking point and they will yeah. uh, ruin the good time for you whatever way they can. Yeah. Like I said at the beginning, this is such a sad story overall. Like the plight of Molly and her people. It, it's, it just hurts me. Her family literally wailing in yeah. the streets. Like every time someone else dies, she is just, she never shuts down. That's something that's yeah. so interesting if we want to talk about her for a minute. At the beginning, like she is so wise to everything going on. Yeah. Like you can see it in her eyes like... This fucking guy wants this a piece. This fucking white boy. All you, you know, want is money. You're, I get you're it. a wolf. I'm smarter than you. I know yeah. exactly what your game is. But then later on, as he's literally poisoning her, yeah. she never suspects him. Like, that is how much she actually trusts this guy for so long. Mm -hmm. And then this breaking her down makes her so vulnerable. But she's going through this huge arc where it's just like, her mom is kind of shit to her, and she says, I don't want you. I want her, your sister. I like right, her better. Right. And, you know, she dies, and her other sister dies, and her other sister dies, and her kid dies, and her husband's a piece of shit. And by the end of it, she is still back to being that, like, strong mm -hmm. person she was at the beginning. Yeah. Like, she is so vulnerable after she gets out of the hospital, and you can see how tired and broken down she is. And then she goes back into that courtroom and it like locks her back up again. Right. And she gives him one last chance. And I cannot believe that she did that. She gives him one last chance to fess up to poisoning her. And we don't know what it was that he was giving her. And he doesn't know what he was giving her. He did what he was told. He did what he was told. And he lied. To her face. To her face. And she knows. You can see it in her eyes. She yeah. fucking knows. She has known she yeah. can read him from the beginning. She got brought to a hospital and she was probably told, oh, yeah, all this other stuff was in your system. It's not just insulin. Yeah, something was really fucking you up. We're not yeah. sure what it was. Because in those days, they wouldn't have the capacity to check 
that sort of stuff. They could just tell once you're not being given that, you're getting better. Clearly, you were getting some other element that we don't know. Well, here's a question, though. It was the King character who set this whole insulin thing up. Do you think that it was actually insulin he was giving her? Yes. At the, at the very beginning. Because think, she said it wasn't working. I think at the beginning, it was. Yes. It, it could just be because... It was the very, very early days of insulin, and mm-hmm. they were fine-tuning it. Like, it was good, but yeah. it wasn't great yet. Okay. Like, that would be it. Or, literally, they just, because nobody's actually really been injecting this into humans yet, we don't exactly know. So, or, it is possible that she just was getting sicker. Or, it could be those fucking doctors who were in on the entire fucking scheme, and they were just giving her saline and charging you know, an arm and a leg for it. Or they were giving her too much. Like, you don't know how much insulin to give people. Maybe they were overdosing her because that'll make you sick, too. I'm inclined to believe that everybody was in on this and they were just trying to bilk her for her money. It is very possible. And they just told Leo that, oh, yeah, this will make her better. This will make her better. Just keep on doing it. And it's just nothing but saline. And he just does what he's told over and over. And when she's in the actual hospital and then notice at the end of the movie, she was injecting herself. Yes. She's like, everyone can fuck right off. I'm taking care of this now. Right. It's all me. I don't trust any of you bitches. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it's possible that she was getting nothing. Yeah. That she was getting saline and that all she had in her system was whatever the fuck was poisoning her. All right. Well, we're already here. So let's just talk about these characters and these actors. uh, And then I think we can probably start wrapping up because again, I don't want to go like really long on this because the movie just needs to be seen. Like we can, we can analyze every single scene here, but it's not going to do, do us much good. So Lily Gladstone, I was very, very impressed with, I would say the most impressive thing. The thing I liked the most was her voice. It is her like very matter of fact way of speaking, just kind of talking into her chin and just, okay, all right, I see what you're doing here. Just very cool, very cool. She is stronger and smarter than anybody in this movie. She knows exactly what's going on, and she is the one who's in control of her own destiny. She does not have to marry Leonardo DiCaprio. She chooses to marry his character. Right, they're talking amongst each other, saying her her sisters are telling telling her that that he's just a snake. And she says, no, he's not a snake. He's more of a wolf, and he's kind of a pretty wolf. I think I'll marry the pretty wolf. Yeah. And I can I can protect myself. I know what my money is worth to these people. And you know what? I'm just going to get something out of it. I'm going to get get a family. I'm going to get a nice husband. I'm going to get a family out of this. I'm going to get a nice house. He's going to take care of me when I start to get sick because I'm going to get sick. Oh, and if you plant this woman in any other place or time, that's a boss bitch right there. Like, sure. she does not need this man. Mm-hmm. She has her own money. Yes, she has a guardian. She has to get the money out of which sucks but she doesn't need anyone else and like i said she's just this pillar of strength and it takes him poisoning her to bring her down and the second she's removed from that equation she goes right back to who and what she actually is and i am really glad now that i've seen it yeah I understand why they were talking about putting her in the supporting actress category because it's the thing we talk about. You put them in the category you think they can win. But fuck them. 
put her in lead actress. Because you know what? She has a shitload of screen time and that's where she belongs. I agree. And if she wins, great. If not, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's way too early to, to be talking about, okay, who we think is going to win. I have no idea. There's a lot of time between us and there and a lot yeah. of performances we haven't seen. But I just appreciate the fact that they're like, no, we're going to put her in the lead actress category. Mm -hmm. Because at the beginning, by saying, oh, we're going to put her in supporting actor, who is she supporting? She's just the little woman up against with De Niro and DiCaprio. Bullshit. She's carrying this movie. She is also there. No, she is carrying so many scenes in this movie. And her entire arc is just fucking devastating like you said yeah and after the explosion i think that was the most like you know impactful at the very least she's crying at the funeral like you you think that she would but she's just taking all these other deaths and murders as they come like it's any other part of your life but she just saw her sister she came from her sister's house that night and her sister was asking her come to colorado with me Come to Colorado with me and get the fuck away from all these fucking Let's white leave. people. Yeah. Let's go. Let's get out of here while we still can. Yeah. And she said no. And somehow none of this breaks her. Yeah. Like anybody else, like most people, this would fucking ruin you. And like then, you, there's no coming back from this many bad things happening yeah. in such a short time. And Leo comes in and shakes his head when she's looking up at him. And that's a great shot, by the way. Her down in the basement. Like... Were all those women down there afraid that people were going from, like, house to house trying to kill people? Well, they said this was right around the times of the events in Tulsa. Yeah. And you remember, I I didn't even really think about the fact, oh, yeah, Tulsa is also in Oklahoma. And this happened at the same time. There's a lot of fucking tension and anger and a lot of shit going down in this state. Yeah, and if you do not know what that's about, uh, just Google Tulsa Massacre. It is the Black Wall Street incident where a bunch of white people came into a black town of Tulsa, Oklahoma and torched an entire block. They were like the richest people yeah. in the area. Murdering dozens and dozens of people. It's it's a devastating thing. It just had its 100-year anniversary, I think, last year. Yeah, it's fucked up. It's a fucked up thing. So there's a lot of yeah. that happening. Like I said, the Klan is here. Why mm-hmm. wouldn't they think that maybe something bad is happening when there's a massive explosion and there's already been a string of murders. Yes, and that is all to say that Lily Gladstone should be nominated for Best Actress, Lead Actress, goddammit. Um, uh, let's talk about DiCaprio. What did you think about him? So he's always going to deliver. I don't think I've ever seen like a bad Leonardo DiCaprio performance. Yeah. This one is weird because he's just doing this weird scowling thing with his face. Yeah, he's just kind of always frowning. He's got weird fake teeth and I think it's just affecting, you know, people who have bad teeth are self-conscious about their teeth and it makes them make weird faces to hide their teeth. So I think that's part of it. But it's also, like you said, he's... He's not stupid, but he is definitely not a man of principles. He doesn't know what to do with himself. He doesn't know how to live his own life. And when somebody bigger and stronger than him comes along and tells him what to do, he does it. It doesn't matter how crazy or ridiculous it sounds. Like he is going around beating up private detectives and robbing people on horseback and, you know, straight up like... Hiring people, outsourcing murders, yeah. hiring hitmen and to not, kill people. And not thinking twice about it. No. He's just doing exactly what his uncle tells him to do because that's just the way to get the money. Yeah. So him as a character, 
like he's interesting. I know so, I read something that people are actually saying this is one of his better performances. It's fine. I don't know if I'd go that far. I, honestly, I was getting a lot of his like other performances kind of mixed in with this. I don't think that this character is all that unique. I agree. Like he's a good actor. He's doing a good job. Mm-hmm. His character is interesting. I don't think he's miscast in any way. No. I just think of the three people that I would wager are going to get nominated for an Academy Award this year, he's going to get thrown in there, but I don't think he'll win. I don't think he'll win either. I mean, we already kind of talked about De Niro, so I think he did a good job. I don't know if it's like Oscar worthy, maybe in the supporting category. I think if anything, De Niro is going to get nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Now, if you go back to watching Oppenheimer, mm-hmm. you know, when we were talking about Robert Downey Jr., these two are kind of similar characters in that they're this unsuspecting evil yeah. force and in they, the piece. They both contribute a whole lot to the to the overall movie. Yes, and I think of the two, I would still prefer Robert Downey Jr. Because De Niro's got a couple already. He doesn't need another one. <laughs> yeah. But I support him getting nominated because he is just completely gross and evil yeah. from beginning to end. He has no redeeming qualities, and I bought it. I did. I believed every scene where he is doing awful things that he believes in what he is doing. Yeah, and, and I think it's unfortunate because I'm comparing this movie a lot to The Departed in my head, and he and the Jack Nicholson character from that movie are kind of similar. There's thematic things because it's the guy who takes charge in whatever place and time. Yeah, Same thing. He's, he's the older gentleman who takes care of the kid who comes in and he brings him into his criminal scheme. There's always one of those. There's, you know, in Gangs of New York, you had yep. the Bill the Butcher character. Yep. Same kind of thing. There's always a big tough guy who is running the show yeah. and takes them under his wing. Mm-hmm. And like when Leo gets brought into the Mason temple to get punished and get yelled at. He gets a spanking. Literally. I I leaned over to Betsy and I said, is he going to break his fucking wrist or something here? Pull a departed. Yeah. Smash it with the Bible. Yeah. No, but he did give him a spanking. Gave him a spanking. He had a paddle (laughs) and he smacked him. He did smack him in real life, uh, but but apparently Leo was wearing padding. I mean, if you look at his little booty, yeah, there's a padding there. (laughs) Nobody's butt looks that padded. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And just to go along with this uh, De Niro thing, I don't know. And this has nothing to do with him as an actor. It's more about the editing. I don't know if you noticed or not. But there were a couple of different, very obvious scenes to me where they looped his lines over the top of him. Nope. He came in and re-looped a couple of lines to replace some words. I did not notice that at all. He said something about, oh, Henry. Henry, he's been dead for however many months. Or he said something about his insurance policy. There is a looped line where he, I think his, his mouth actually said years, but they looped in the line months. Well, that could also be because they made a change to the script yeah. after the fact. Right. For again, continuity. Again, I'm not blaming him about this, but there's also in that same scene at the lodge, there is a really, really bad cut of him. Like he's standing kind of off to the side and mid-sentence he is cut to, I'm leaning over the top of you. 
I didn't notice it at all. But also, I did notice the theater we were in was having some kind of issue with the digital feed because every once in a while there were weird pixels on the screen. Yeah, that was that. that that's yeah, that, but that's our theater. What I'm saying is, it could have been that too. I don't think so. Well. I Still, didn't notice it, is all I, I'm saying. I noticed some really bad edits and some really bad ADR lines that really bothered me. Well, you can, you can only do so much sometimes. And I realize that, and sometimes, in the heat of the moment, you got the right performance out of your actor, and it's just one little line that I gotta change. So let's just change the line in post. Get De Niro into the booth for like five minutes, and he'll redo these lines. Fair enough. So, yeah, that, that it took me out of it a couple of different times, and it sucked. Well, I sure didn't notice it. All right. Uh, well, speaking of uh, distracting moments, I know you were kind of freaking out in, the, in your seat, noticing a whole bunch of people that are not actors. Okay, so Martin Scorsese has this thing he occasionally likes to do, where he will plug a number of thematically related people into his movie. In The Aviator, there is a scene in a club, and every time they go back to this club, one of the members of the Wainwright family, so Loudon Wainwright is the lead singer in one scene, in another scene it's Rufus, in another scene it's Martha. Now, not everybody's gonna notice that, but I'm a fan of all of them. So, of course, I noticed that. In uh -huh. Wolf of Wall Street, he takes a lot of really, like, famous New Yorkers, and he sticks them in there. In this one, for some reason, his choice was musicians. I'm sitting here looking at uh, one of the, the husbands, Smith. I can't remember his first name, Paul or something. And I'm like, I know this guy's face, but I was thinking he was an actor and I'm trying to place him and I'm trying to place him. And all of a sudden I realized he's not an actor at all. That is Jason Isbell, who is a singer-songwriter. Then a little later... I'm watching it, and fucking Pete Yorn is showing up as the guy who blows up the house. Mm -hmm. Pete Yorn, another singer-songwriter. Later on in the movie, Jack White shows up. You know, of the White of Stripes. Of the White Stripes. And then the one and I... 15 other bands. And the one I didn't recognize, but I recognized the name in the credits, was Sturgill Simpson, who is another singer-songwriter. I don't know what or if anything he is trying to say with this choice. Maybe it's just that he likes to put people who are not known as <laughs> actors in his movies. They yeah. were all good. Like, Pete Yorn didn't have much to do. He mumbled through a couple of lines. Jason Isbell is pretty good to the point I thought he was a real actor, which is yep. why I couldn't recognize him. Yep. And then Jack White is in a radio play, which we haven't talked about, but we we'll will get discuss there. that. We'll get there. So, yeah, it's just a weird affectation that Scorsese has. I would have to go through his other movies to see where he's done it. I just know he's done it more than once, and it was very much, that was the thing that took me out of the movie. Yeah, you in particular, because this is the kind of music that you like. You like the singer-songwriters, like yes. single artists that just do their own stuff. And I would have never noticed that. I just thought they were just maybe people that I've never seen before in anything. You knew Jack White, though. I knew that Jack White. That jumped out at you. Yeah. So as long as we're, we're at this point in the movie where Jack White shows up, what the hell was that whole thing? Because it's kind of the postscript to the entire movie. They tell you DiCaprio's character gets convicted and sent to life in prison, but later he gets paroled and goes to live with his brother, who was tried, but there was a hung jury, so he got to walk. Then De Niro's character was convicted and sent to life in prison, but then he was paroled, 
and then he like kind of moved back to to Fairfax even though he wasn't supposed to even though he was not supposed to go back to Oklahoma in general and then he got to live to be an old man yeah but we find all of this postscript in the form of a 1950s radio play. Right. Like, it's the 1950s equivalent of a true crime podcast. Exactly. I didn't understand this scene. And the very last person to speak, of course, is Martin Scorsese. Right. Giving the, here's what happened to Molly. Right. This was her obituary, and he just reads her obituary. What? I What is this scene? What is this choice? I'm, it, again, another moment that just really took me out of the movie because I don't know why you would end it this way. Is it just because you have to jump forward in history to be able to give the closure and he didn't want to just have it be text on a screen? Because yeah. you could have done that, right. that's but that's the normal, kind of cliche and boring. Yeah, it's the normal way that you end a historical drama. You put text on screen, you tell people what happened in the trial, you tell people when people died. And fade to black. Yeah, and if there's any other interesting, you know, little bit, bits of information to pass along to the audience, that's where you do it. But maybe Scorsese thought that, especially Molly, if anybody needed to get some kind of little extra thing, it would be Molly. But if that's the case, do something just about her. Have some kind of relative come out, like a, a distant relative come out and say, Molly was like my great, great, great grandmother or whatever the fuck. And this was her story after the, the events of the movie. We honor her by this movie and we approve this message, <laughs> you know? Well, and maybe it's because at the end of it, the last shot is, again, it starts and ends with the Osage people. And yes. this is the real people. Yes. At... I guess, I don't know if you want to call it a powwow. I'm not exactly sure what that event was. Yeah, yeah. But they're showing the real people having some kind of an event. Mm -hmm. And it fades to black off of them. So I know Scorsese spent a lot of time with representatives of the tribe yeah, to the, get this right. Yeah, the Osage people were very much included in the making of this movie. Which I appreciate because it feels a little bit weird to have a white guy from New York who mm -hmm. is telling this story. Yeah, coming in to tell this story about what, your, like, your people. What the fuck do you know, yeah. Mr. Guy? Right. So I am glad he took a lot of care to involve them heavily in this project. And I'm sure that's one of the reasons why it's taken so long to make this movie. Because number one, it's a big story. There's a lot of people involved. There's a lot of moving parts. And it's an important story, too. You don't want to fuck it up. This is the kind of history they don't teach you in school. And yeah. they probably should. Because this is stuff that you would go, well, that's fucked up. We shouldn't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. But if you don't tell kids that because we gloss over it, let's teach right. more children about Columbus. That makes sense. Well, we Instead of talking about actual American history. Well, we talked about the, 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 the Tulsa massacre. I had never heard about that nope. in school. Until until a few years ago, yeah. I had no idea that was a thing that happened. Right. And maybe it is more of a, a regional thing. Like, if you went to Oklahoma school, maybe you would have been taught about that there. Oh, if you grew up in Tulsa, you sure as shit knew about it. Of course, it. of course. But, you know, you know, us being little white kids in South Dakota growing up in the 80s and 90s, we actually did learn a lot about Native American culture. Now, it is the, the tribes and the nations that were around us. Around here, it is the, the the Sioux, the Dakota, the Lakota. There's a lot of talk about like their languages disappearing, and a lot of the the curriculums on the uh, the Indian reservations are a lot about preserving the language. 
that is being lost generationally. It is being lost through a lot of those, those different tribes. So we've been told and taught a lot about this stuff. I mean, growing up, I, one of my best friends was like half native. So Betsy and I kind of grew up around a lot of it, but I would not say that we're like... We are not experts. I don't think they spent... No. They could have spent more time on it. Absolutely. Let's just put it that way. But I think we we do a disservice to the, the country and, and the kids here for not really spending a lot of extra time and effort into, let's just say... The truth? The, the truth, the, the <laughs> terrible shit that, the real our, history? that our government has done to the Native American population of this country. Yeah, that's that's about That's, that's about this it. movie. Yeah, yeah. But in this case, it wasn't the government. It was just people. People who got it in their mind that I want to go screw over this entire group of people. Well, they, they put it in a really succinct way when they're having the, I guess you'd call it a tribal council when yes. the actual tribe is there and the yes. chief is there. They say this money is white money. And yeah. we should have known that when that money came in, mm-hmm. they would want to come and get it back. Yeah. That's not our money. That's their money. Because it's not the native American tribe who was like processing all of this oil. Of course not. The actual oil companies are coming in there and they are leasing the land in order to pump the oil out of it. That's where they're getting their money. It is the white people coming in with their oil derricks that we saw at the beginning of the movie and pumping it out of their out of their land. And doing all the actual processing. Exactly. Yep. And, you know, in the, in the intro when I said, oh, yeah, this is kind of a, a combination of there will be blood and dances with wolves. Uh, I'm not completely wrong. There's a lot less about oil in this movie. There's also a lot less about white saviors in this movie. You're right. Like, the Kevin Costner character actually had some, oh, I don't know, moral fortitude in that movie. He tried to help. He did. He tried. He did. But you get what I'm saying, though. It is a lot about white people coming into the Native American uh, land, and it's a lot about, you know, wheeling and dealing about oil money. It is the history of the white man showing up where he doesn't belong and fucking shit up. There you go. That's the movie. (laughs) Killers of the Flower Moon. Betsy, I know there's one more thing you've got to talk about. It is the court scene, especially Brendan Fraser. Okay. People online have been talking at length about Brendan Fraser in this movie, which is really weird because he's in three scenes. Three. He is in the courtroom, he's at the house, and then he is standing quietly outside. Yep. So there are a couple scenes he's just in the background. And there are some people who are like, he needs to give his Oscar back. This is the most terrible performance I've ever seen in a movie. I disagree for two reasons. One, he is playing a skeezy lawyer. And he is doing exactly what skeezy lawyers do. He is like, no, they beat you. You must tell them. You you did. You did. They beat you, right? right. He's bullying Leo's character just like everybody else is bullying him. Mm-hmm. So when he is showing up in the courtroom, he is grandstanding and being loud and obnoxious. And trying to get his client off on a technicality yes. by taking their star witness out of the case. Right. So he is doing exactly what he did. Second point, do you really think this performance would be exactly the way it ended up in this film if Martin Scorsese didn't want it to be exactly the way it is? Yeah. We know that Brendan Fraser is capable of range. We know that he can act. And Martin Scorsese is not a moron. He has been doing this a really long time. So all those people who are like, it's the worst performance. Okay, if Martin Scorsese 
puts it in the movie like this. <laughs> That's that how is, he wanted it. That is how he wanted it to be. <laughs> yeah. And he has done exactly what he was asked. That is all I wanted to say because as I keep saying, Brendan Fraser is an American treasure. And, and you I'm, know who else is an American treasure, Betsy? John Lithgow. What the fuck? I had no idea he was <laughs> in a, this. No, I did not know that until I, I heard his voice. Yeah, you see him from the back, but you hear that voice. And when you know what he sounds like, <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is John Lithgow doing here? Right. There were even a couple of moments where I almost think some other actors were doing lines that were never seen. Because there was a moment when they're in Washington, D.C. taking the picture. And I swear to God, I heard David Strathern's voice. I don't know. I don't know. It sounded exactly like him. There was also the moment earlier in the movie. Was it my imagination or did Scorsese play two people? Because mm. there was a guy delivering a telegram. Yeah. And you didn't see his face, but you saw, you heard his voice. We might have to look that up. And I'm pretty sure that was also Scorsese. Yeah. Which again is a very strange thing for him to put himself in the movie twice. It is not that weird for him to be in his own movie. Right. Scorsese has been on screen in nearly every one of his movies. Especially early on. Especially early on. Yeah. He had like characters in those yeah. movies. <laughs> Well, one other actor that I wanted to shout out here, and we, we haven't mentioned him yet, Jesse Plemons. Jesse Plemons is, I don't know, he's just becoming one of these guys who is showing up in movies and just putting in a fucking masterful performance. He got nominated last year for Best Supporting Actor, did he not? He did, and that was the one that was the surprise to me. Right. I was like, wouldn't it be great if he did? Yeah. I, I figured everybody else who got nominated last year would, and then they said his name, and I was like, oh my god! Jesse Plemons. Fantastic. He he played a pivotal role in Vice, which was another Oscar-nominated movie. This one is probably also going to be Oscar-nominated. He's probably not going to get nominated for this because no. his part's kind of small. But he's just really solid in it. I read something the other day that basically, I don't remember who they compared him to, but the thing that they said that stuck out to me was he is the millennial character actor he is this generation's guy the yeah. go-to who just shows up and he might look like a guy who has no idea what's going on but he always knows exactly what's going on yeah. and he can play it really big and he can play it really subtle mm -hmm. and yeah when he shows up i'm like hey i like him <laughs> indeed all right uh we're talking about oscars here the reason why we're doing this so early is because we can get this movie out of the way Every time we cover an Oscar movie, we got to talk about categories. We already talked about actors here. Betsy, why don't we talk about the rest of the categories? So the one we haven't touched on yet, I really, really liked the score in this movie. Like in that opening scene when they strike oil and yep. all of the guys are dancing around mm -hmm. in the oil as it's flying through the air. A great shot, too. It's a great shot. It's like modern but it was also using Native American instruments. So it was like the drums and okay. the flute, but then they had electric guitar in there. And I don't know, it was just really cool. That kind of boom, 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 boom. That was sort of throughout the whole movie. I get what you're saying. I just, I cannot think of a time where I thought the score was impactful to me. Now, maybe I was having a hard enough time following everything that I couldn't notice the score. But I'm, I'm with you. I, I remember some of that stuff, but it was not anything that stood out to me. Well, it stood out to me. I really like that. And sometimes I don't notice that shit. So. Also, the dude who did the score for this movie just recently died. Yeah, the composer passed away a few months ago, and yeah. I did not know that. So yeah. if he gets nominated, it will be a posthumous nomination. Right. 
So we have that, obviously Best Picture. How are you feeling about uh, adapted screenplay? I mean, it is based on a book, and uh, I don't know how much adapting they did because it is three and a half hours long. <laughs> they they, they just kind of took the book and put it on screen. There you go. Why not? Uh, there's that. Most adapted screenplay. <laughs> I think I would love to see costumes because there is this beautiful mix of 19-teens, 1920s costuming yeah. and Native American touches. Yeah. So like the way they do their hair, the way they do have their jewelry, mm-hmm. but over like modern clothing. Yeah. It's it's a really nice way I of mixing ne- and matching. I would have never thought about that, but I think you're 100% right. And like in the wedding sequence where she is wearing this really extravagant like military style uniform right. with this hat. With all the tassels. Those hats were crazy with right. the and like there's like all of her sisters are wearing the same outfit mm-hmm. yeah there's just a lot of really beautiful touches some are big like that but yeah. then some are really subtle like the bolos and they have shells or something tied on to them yeah. and i'll say this i i don't think that i would have ever thought about that but i think i'm more sure about that getting nominated than anything else that <laughs> now we're that talking about it. now that you said that <laughs> because like you said in that wedding scene there is just so much going on and it goes by so quickly that I couldn't notice it all. But you're right. The military style regalia that she is wearing is just way out of left field. And I'm sure it's authentic. They probably did a lot of research into sure. this. And they would have, like you said, like we said, consulted with the people who live there, who know this who have the photos. Yeah. I'm sure some of those pictures, and they didn't touch it. We didn't touch on it much, but they have like, what do they call those? Daguerreotypes? Like I, they can actually get, they can actually get the old timey cameras that still take those still photos oh, like that. Yeah. Well, like at the beginning of the movie when they were showing, I mean, they're, they're modern people that they're taking the photos of. But they're but old it's a, style. It's that style. I'm willing to bet they used the real equipment because they're blurry around the edges the way that sure. they would be. So, yeah, there's a lot of things with like production design and costumes and scripts. And yeah, I think I, this is the one I heard where somebody said this one might get nominated for more awards than like anything in recent memory like an obscene amount of awards okay you know you've got scorsese you've got dicaprio you've got lily gladstone you've got de niro you've got i'm literally like counting and i'm already (laughs) in the double digits yeah just with the actors and the director it could be this and oppenheimer that, yeah. that, that might go against each other as far as the number. They will lead the pack. But this one, the thing it doesn't have that Oppenheimer has is the technology. Like, it's, did they have any? sound and it's editing. But no, like, special effects, really. No, there's no special effects in this movie that I'm aware of other than maybe... Oh, I mean, there's a lot of fire, but the fire looked real because all that fucking heat wash coming off of that, yeah. that looked real. There's a lot of beautiful shots with, like, light and fire and these huge cinematic landscapes in Oklahoma because it's right. just open air. Well, like all those oil derricks at the very beginning of the movie, those are all fake, obviously. You could tell that that was CG. But other than that, I can't think of any off the top of my head. If they are there, they're very subtle. Yeah. I mean, I can't really think of any other categories here off the top of my head. I mean, we haven't mentioned sound. I don't really think that there's, that there's much there. Editing, I had way too many problems with the editing of this movie to really say anything about that. Well, good thing for them, you are not a part of the editing voting pool. <laughs> I would not vote for this movie. Uh, and I was also say about editing, some of the stuff around 
the start of the last third of the movie where they start like showing some of the stuff in the past. They're like showing you like that one murder uh, in the creek where a lot of that stuff is just coming out of nowhere and they're not really giving a good explanation of why they're showing it to me. That I really had a problem with. They do it throughout the movie though. There's some things where they just sort of drop it in your face and then later they might explain what's happening. Mm -hmm. Like when the first introduction of there are a lot of people dying it's a guy having a seizure or he was poisoned or something and we have no idea who this is or why we're here or what's going on yeah the beginning of the movie introducing all these concepts really well done it's just towards that last third but that's what i'm saying is he does it quite a few times and sometimes you can make sense of it and sometimes you're like wait what the fuck did i just see yeah and it takes him a little while to get back to it yeah uh, well, that's all the, all the discussion I have about Oscars. One more thing I wanted to mention here, just because we've mentioned this guy a little bit uh, in, in the recent past when we were doing our October series of movies and last year, Scorsese came out and said that he used the pacing of Ari Aster's movies from Hereditary and from Midsummer into He took the pacing of those movies and integrated that into this movie. I get that. Now that you say that, I had read that and I hadn't Mm -hmm. really been absorbing that while we were watching it. But he also does some weird like quick edit. Yeah. We're dropping you in the middle, especially Midsummer, where it's like out of sequence. Yeah. Okay. Now I get it. That makes a lot more sense now. I can see how he was trying to do that and he accomplished it in a a few different areas. To a degree. But not all the way. I can see what he was going for. It's not his, his natural style. Yes. It's he always borrowing. It. He's borrowing from someone else. <laughs> but you got to appreciate a guy who is what, like 80 years old or something he's up now. There. And he said, I've got maybe one movie left in me. He's yeah. he is winding down his career to be looking to a guy who is only, you know, in his 30s. I think Ari Aster, who's made three movies at this mm-hmm. point. Yep. For him to say specifically, I admire what you do, and frankly, I'm going to steal it. <laughs> and then give the guy credit. Like totally. He, he could have just done it and not said a word. Right. But the fact that he said, you know who I like? That Ari I Aster. Like, I like this Ari Aster guy. He's, he's doing good work. I'm going to use his technique for my movie. Yeah. And that's really cool. It is. All right. I, I, I think I'm done talking about this movie. I liked it. I don't think I love it. It's going to take some time for me to digest this one. Definitely not one of his best, but I think it's good. Listen, the first time I watched The Departed, I didn't get it. Like, that movie was not my favorite thing. I don't even know if I liked it the first time I watched it. There are a lot of people out there that would agree with that initial assessment. There's a lot of people who really hate The Departed. And it took me a few viewings, and maybe watching it with you because you actually like The Departed. I do. And just having time to watch movies in a different way and mm-hmm. think about movies in a different way and appreciate little things they're doing mm-hmm. that over time I have come to like that movie a lot more. Yeah. I really appreciate that movie. So I could foresee that happening with this one. It's just three and a half uh, hours yeah. is a long time that, to just pop it on and think about it for is, a while. Honestly, that is the only thing that is going to prevent me from watching this movie again. It is the Immediately, runtime. Yeah. It, is the, it is the runtime that's sitting down and watching this movie. Now, you could do it over a number of different nights. You know what the movie is. You know the beats of it. You can enjoy it in chunks. But to sit down and watch the entire thing, uh-uh. Well, we talked about it before we recorded this episode. Like, why can't movies that are this long have an intermission like they used to? Yeah. And 
back in the days in like the 50s and the 60s where tons of movies did that, where they mm-hmm. were like, fuck it, four hours, five hours, yeah. let's go. Giant epics. They would do that, but you had to remember TV wasn't that big a thing, so people's attention spans were different. Mm-hmm. People were really used to theater, and the theatrical experience had an intermission. You're so, expected to have an intermission. Yeah, there was a cut in the storytelling yeah. where it just had a natural pause and mm-hmm. you had to stop and everybody would leave but now it's the breaking of the illusion yeah. like if people are given the opportunity to stop thinking about killers of the flower moon just to go get popcorn or go to the bathroom and be talking like you and i would be talking and then intermission is over and yeah. we have to get back into it yeah, it, you it, completely change your frame of mind yeah, if we didn't have a podcast where we we tell ourselves we're not allowed to talk to each other on the way back from the theater well it helped this time we had two cars yeah, we, said, we went separately <laughs> yeah it's it's a long behind the scenes thing but yeah that i think would take you completely out of the immersion of the movie and that's a problem especially in a movie like this where there's so many things going on and so many characters yeah it wouldn't work the only way you could do it is if you gave it the longer cut and you had a natural place where it was like everybody's arrested and now we're gonna have a courtroom drama in the second half sure or do it like Tarantino did The Hateful Eight. He put out, he is like two, two and a half hour movie. Then he put out a longer cut on Netflix, but it became a miniseries. A TV show, It was show, like three basically. or four different parts. Yeah. Betsy, all right, I'm done. I have to stop talking about this. <laughs> this is way too long already. If you, dear listener, would like to reach out to us and tell us about what you think about Killers of the Flower Moon, about any kind of Oscar conversation, if you want to start that in November, <laughs> With well, us. well before anybody's actually talking about Oscar stuff, email us, neverseenitpod at gmail.com. Not only can you email us, you can also reach out to us on any number of social media platforms that we talk about to death. Today, we're going to cover one of the movies that we did for Never Scream It. We're going to read all of our messages and emails and everything else that we got about David Cronenberg's The Fly. Yeah, that was uh, a movie we watched. Yes, it was. So, Betsy, why don't you get us started? Yeah, so the first comment we got was from Seth, our friend over at Movie Friends. Yep. He said, I love The Fly. It's probably Cronenberg's least thought-provoking movie, but what it's good at, it's very good at. An example of the best remakes. So he puts that in the class of the better of the remakes. Sure. We also got a message from Blake. He's a big Cronenberg fan, so he sent us quite a message about this. As a big Cronenberg fan, I'm really enjoying this ep being that this is your guy's first movie of his. It was. You guys are saying all the right keywords. Goopy, flesh, He is known as the godfather of body horror. I don't know if he invented it, but he's definitely the director who mainstreamed it. A lot of his horror movies are about the complications, destruction, or manipulation of human flesh, whether it's by an outside force or by the person themselves. I'm not sure if you've heard the term, long live the new flesh. It's kind of a popular term amongst the horror crowd. Uh, I have not. But that term was uttered in Videodrome, which is my personal favorite of his. Yeah. So I'm glad that we were at least picking up on this is what David Cronenberg likes Mm -hmm. to do. Because as we said in that episode, we're unfamiliar with his, to use a pun, body of work. (laughs) Yeah, and I think we mentioned in the episode that Videodrome was about the only other Cronenberg movie that I had ever heard of. The rest of them, I don't think I know. He continues, 
Also, I'm fairly certain Howard Shore has scored either all or most of his films. They've been working together for many decades. It's quite a riot when I see his name in front of The Fly and then The Lord of the Fucking Rings. <laughs> awesome episode. P.S. It's funny that you guys are talking about the history of VHS on this episode. Cronenberg's 2005 movie, A History of Violence, is the last movie mass-produced on VHS. Yes, it was. I did know that. And I did not, so I'm learning all kinds of things. This is what we appreciate. If you guys know a lot about any of these actors or directors, things yeah. that we're covering, we love hearing about that stuff. Totally. And of course, the podcast itself is an initial reaction. It is us sitting down here immediately after watching the movie and maybe reading a little bit of stuff on like the IMDb page. But if you got like some deep knowledge about movies, pass it on. Like We want to hear about that stuff. Especially if it's not something that is readily known. Like if it's sure. not going to be on the IMDb page, but it's just kind of a fun thing you heard on a documentary or in a magazine. Sure. Or if you listen to the commentary, like tell us what the director said about the movie. Absolutely. Definitely reach out to us in those cases. Yeah. Uh, all right. So we also got an email from our super fan, Stephanie. She says about The Fly, this is a fun and delightfully weird movie. Never science without a spotter. That's right. I'm <laughs> telling says, you. Yes. OMG, Betsy and Jeff Goldblum have the same hair. LOL, Halloween costume? Uh, maybe. Uh, I, I mean, missed it. This is an old email, but... <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. And I think for something like that, you would have to bring in... You'd have to bring with you, like, a printout of a screenshot of the movie to show people. I would need to be sitting in a booth that I carry around with me. <laughs> it would be an elaborate Halloween costume. It would be one of those that is a uh, a very obscure reference that you turn into an entire thing. I was having a conversation with someone the other day about deep cut deep costumes. Deep cut Halloween costumes. I, yeah, wa yeah. I want to have that party sometime. A deep cut costume party where it's like okay think of someone in a movie yeah okay now think of another character in that same movie and you keep doing that until you're just using descriptors so that people will recognize who you yeah. are once you get there <laughs> but you have to deeply explain it i saw it, it, it's a similar thing but i saw a a thread of photos there was some convention in chicago where it was a bunch of people dressed up as Simpsons characters, but it's not like the main family. It's not even like secondary characters. They're one-off characters or even characters that are like dressed up in a certain outfit. It is very, very obscure things that only happen in The Simpsons and only true fans really recognize. It was amazing. It was fantastic. When you you put should them, seek that out. When you put them side to side yeah. with the actual screenshot. And it was a competition too. There was a first, second, and third place winner <laughs> i love it yes back to the email the makeup is really good for the 80s now it would all be cgi and worse now that being said this movie is so gross and disturbing i was super squirmy watching it yeah same here that's the point though uh, i love gina davis and jeff goldblum however they're a weird couple in this movie i agree that she is super into him from the get-go yeah i didn't get that Okay, well, she agrees with me, agrees and you, with you are wrong. Yep. Uh, if my husband ever kissed me with his eyes fully open, I, <laughs> I would be pulled out of the moment so quickly. Close your damn eyes. <laughs> <laughs> the whole pregnancy also freaks me out. Yeah. Grub baby. Grub, Grub baby. Yeah, it's, it's a weird thing. And I don't know if we're ever going to watch The Fly 2. Probably But not. maybe they're going to get into more of that later, but... She says, I do like that the end, the ending of the movie is so abrupt. 
perfect. Yeah, I was yelling at the screen, please, please stop the movie right at the very, very, very end when there is a an end to the character. Go to black, yep. cut to the credits. Cut to credits, end of movie. I love it. She says, I thought this was the only Cronenberg movie I had seen, but apparently he directed A History of Violence. Hey. Maybe uh, this is one we need to check maybe, out. Maybe, maybe. She says, it is a decent Viggo Mortensen movie. Anyway, more spooky movies. Now, of course, she sent this in, in the middle of some stuff, so this is going to be out of order. We apologize. But on October 15th, she watched Saw, followed by Saw 2. Then she went and watched the limited Netflix series Midnight Mass, which I hear really good things about. I have heard this as well. Indeed. Uh, the Babysitter 2 Killer Queen, which, I, is that an old one or is that a new one? I have no idea. I don't she know. finds the most obscure things sometimes. Uh, the Autopsy of Jane Doe and the 2011 version of The Thing. All right then. Yeah. Uh, she says, we have seen all of these before, except the autopsy of Jane Doe. It was really good. Love you guys from a superfan, Stephanie. I applaud that the people who we know in our circle who love horror all responded to this particular movie. Yeah. Because they understand it on a level I just don't get. Mm -hmm. So I like to hear, hey, there's other David Cronenberg movies out there that are worth a watch. Everybody yeah. just mentioned the same movie. Well, it's it's a couple of movies. It's Videodrome and it's History of, of Violence. Fair enough. So we might have to check those out eventually. Or at least one of them. Yes. But if you would like to tell us what you think about David Cronenberg, The Fly, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, Scorsese, anything under the sun, reach out to us. You can email us at neverseenitpod at gmail.com. All of the aforementioned social media platforms, Blue Sky, Twitter... Facebook, Instagram, we're on all of those, and we respond to everybody. We try to anyway. We try to anyway. Some of, we don't respond to the spammers because there's a lot of those out there. Have you considered promoting your product and reality records? Reality records? What's that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is not sponsored, and we are not going to be no, using. No, <laughs> no. But yes, please reach out to us if you have any thoughts about the stuff that we talk about, if you want to give us any suggestions, anything of that nature. But as well, what we ask for you to do is go onto your podcast app of choice. If there is a way for you to give us five stars on something, I've been kind of playing around with some other uh, other apps on my phone. Apparently, Google Podcast doesn't allow you to do that. Google Podcast is making our life difficult sometimes, sometimes. Sometimes it does. Yeah, let us know if an app is not showing up. We've had that happen a few times. Yeah. But I know Spotify allows you to give five stars, so... Go there. Go there, download and listen to uh, an episode or two, I think... It, you, or 270 some. You are forced to actually listen to some before you're allowed to give a rating. But just go ahead and do that and give us a rating on Spotify if you don't have one of them fancy iPhones. But that is going to be it for Killers of the Flower Moon. That's one of... I don't know, a few movies that are maybe up for consideration for Oscar stuff so far that we have seen. But there's going to be plenty more coming in the next few months. Tis the season. Tis the season, like we keep saying. But that is going to be the end of Never Seen It for now. We got Hanksgiving all month long. Every Wednesday of this month will be another movie about Tom Hanks or starring Tom Hanks. Not about Tom Hanks. They haven't made a movie about him yet. That would be weird. That's going to be way, way, way down the line. We'll that's, see. That's episode 732. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> I'm calling it now. But please come back and listen to those episodes. It's been really fun so far. But until then, my name is Trent. My name is Betsy. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.